Well, you had to keep your sense of humor. I remember I once had to produce my business card because some guy, I was on a plane once and some guy says, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm the mayor of Edmonton. He said, oh yeah, and I'm Tom Cruise or something. That was the headline of one of the stories, Jan Gets Her Man. We had used very good china, all the best dishes, very good lunch, everything. So there could be no criticism on that front at all. Um, wanted to make sure about that. And then after he left, there was a spoon missing. So we don't know what happened to that spoon. Hello, my name is Olivia Beauty. Welcome to Searching for Izena on Womanly Stories of Female Leadership at Edmonton City Hall, brought to you by YWCA Edmonton, Parity Yeg, and several past and present Edmonton City Councillors. 100 years ago on December 12, 1921, Edmonton elected its first female councillor, Izena Ross. Over the past century, only 30 women have followed in her footsteps, including me. This nine-part podcast, generously sponsored by the Edmund Community Foundation, will tell that wildly incomplete chapter of our city's history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You will get to meet the 31 female councillors and learn more about why they ran and how they shaped our city. And there are still barriers that need to be broken, even in 2021. Now, let's get started. Our hosts for this political journey are Stacey Brotzel and Kim Ann Wilson. Hello and welcome to Searching for Izena on Womanly Stories of Female Leadership at Edmonton City Hall. So far, we have 12 women who have ever ran for mayor this year so far you know election is in october so let's let's wait and see what happens um in this episode we're going to be speaking with the fourth woman to ever run for mayor which is jan reimer in just a few moments and later on we'll be speaking with two of her staffs she ran an all-female office and one hired man which made headlines which is awesome and it's super great but being the fourth woman to run what happened to the first three all right. A lot of characters uh, ran before Jan Reimer did. So the first woman to run for mayor was Gertrude McBain back in 1925. She was 38 and she got involved in politics apparently because of a tax issue. And the issue was she didn't pay them. <laughs> she like was it. quite a character. And this is a really funny story. So a newspaper article back then said that she wanted to tell the provincial farmers government where to get off. So <laughs> she went to the Alberta legislature. She got invited into the cloakroom in the MLA's uh, sort of lounge there. And she sat there and she sat there and she refused to leave. So all the MLAs, they came out of, of, out of the lounge saying, uh, I don't know what's happening, but this woman has taken over our lounge. Please get her out. By all reports, it, it looks like she stayed there for several days. Finally, the sergeant at arms was called in to kick her out. She, Kim Ann, she didn't, she didn't do so well. She <laughs> lost against Mayor Kenny Blatchford. She got 31 votes. Wow. The next woman to run was Nell Martin, nearly 50 years later. Wow. She also withdrew from the election before voting began, and she came second to last. Wow. Doreen Crowley was the third woman to run for mayor in 1983, so... Uh, that was just a few years before Jan did. Her campaign literature said, I just happened to be a widow and have some time on my hands. So in 1983, <laughs> I'm going to be there. 
you may think I'm a crazy lady, like some say, but names don't hurt me and I'd like to see a change in this council. It's up to the public. Unfortunately, things didn't work out for Doreen. She also withdrew from the race, this time due to illness. But but guess what, Kim Ann? Mm-hmm. She got quite a few votes and she actually came ahead of two men who ran full campaigns. Way to go, Doreen. Yep. <laughs> so the next woman, and we're going to be speaking to her in just seconds, Jan Reimer. She was elected in 1989. And to put that into perspective, it wasn't until 1990 that the Derrick Country Club opened its bar to women. So she was elected. We had our first female mayor. And in 1989, the Derrick Country Club there on the south side didn't allow women in its bar. So this is this is what the kind of atmosphere she was coming mm-hmm. into. Uh, she beat the incumbent, Terry Cavanaugh. In fact, there was more than gender parity that term, with more women on council than men. Jan served two terms before she was defeated by Bill Smith. For the last number of years, she's been the executive director of Alberta's Council of Women's Shelters. Thanks for joining us, Jan. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Let's talk about politics. It Was it in your blood? Of course, your dad was the NDP leader. Um, provincially, uh, was this something that was that was maybe in your family or, or something you always thought you would do? How did you get into politics? Oh, I actually tell people it was a full moon. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I certainly grew up in a very political family, um, but provincial, not uh, municipal. And it was really because of the Urban Reform Group of Edmonton that I actually got into politics. Um, I worked at the time with the um, Calder Action Committee, which was an older neighborhood, long neglected by City Hall. Uh, They had wood sewers, no parks for kids, um, no social housing, you know, had been really neglected. And uh, the Neighborhood Improvement Program was rolling out at the time, and I was hired uh, to work there. Um, And then I'd go to City Hall to make representations. And I remember thinking one time, well, I could do that because there were these guys sitting there sleeping, hadn't read their agendas. And I knew I could do a better job, but I never thought I would actually do it. And then along came the Urban Reform Group of Edmonton, who had really um, done a lot in terms of working to protect older neighborhoods and uh, the River Valley and asked if I would be interested in running. Uh, so I thought about it. I asked my dad what he thought, because, you know, uh, you know of, of that political heritage. And he says, well, you should run because the worst thing that could happen to you is you'd win. Mm. And I won. <laughs> uh, so uh, that started my political career. No, that's amazing. That's amazing, John. So for you then, what was the journey like in terms of running the first time ever? Like, what was that for you? Tell us what that was for you. Well, that was an education. It was exciting. Uh, It was really different because at that time, Urge actually had two candidates uh, and you had to and you had um, to uh, win one of the two spots. And so there was a nomination procedure. So that was interesting and learning how to give speeches up in front of all these people and selling memberships. It's sort of like like community league uh, carnival queen, it felt like in some ways. I sold all these memberships to get people to come out and and, uh, vote for you. Um, And then a lot of door knocking at the time. Uh, And uh, in in an older neighborhood, not very many doorbells, so your your, uh, knuckles actually got raw uh, from knocking on uh, so many doors. uh, And uh, you learned how many people had dogs too, by the way. But yeah, it was just an adventure and it was great people. It was fun. You learned a lot. You learned a lot about yourself. 
uh, you learned a lot about the community. Uh, and when you know door knock, you learn an awful lot about people and where they're coming from, uh, you know, what their needs are, what their what's on their minds. Um, so it just was a, a, a great experience, really. So nine years on council, and you decided to run for the big chair. And Jen, there were only three other women who ran for mayor before you. And and most of them didn't even make it. They pulled their names off the ballot uh, before election day. So why did you decide to make that jump? And was it a, was it a pretty um, scary thing for you to decide? Because you are making history. There's this glass ceiling. It's very thick. You're running against a, an incumbent, Terry Kavanaugh. Uh, why did you decide to go for it? And, and what, what kind of decision and, and process did you have to make in your head before you said, I'm, I'm going to put my name on this ballot? Uh, well, it's lots to consider. It's, uh, you had to think about, like, do I really even want to do this? Um, talk to your family. Like, how are you ever going to raise enough money uh, to run? Because it's a big undertaking. Um, but I guess I looked at I've been on council for nine years and, you know, um, that was long enough. So you either try for, you know, running for mayor or you say goodbye, I think, because uh, it just seems that, you know, you need, you needed a new energy and new challenges. And, um, you know, the mayor was something, uh, you know, that was a challenge. Um, and, um, you know, I had people come and ask me to run. I don't think and people, I guess I was surprised about that said, why don't you run? Because they were worried about the direction of the city. So I thought, why not? And I gave it a try. And uh, I guess I was very fortunate too in that, at that time, envi the environmental issues were coming to the forefront more than they ever had. And I was running on a green platform. Uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, people like Kathy here who kind of twisted my arm, too, and said, you know, you better run. Um, and uh, so uh, and I had good support from my family. So um, that's how it happened, I guess. I saw an interview with you on CBC in, in all of the research and the background and information that we've received to do this podcast. And you sort of looked like, oh, what now? <laughs> oh, I won. I won. What, what's going to happen to me now? It, it was certainly well, actually the first. Yeah, I remember that because I know what I was thinking, too, because at that time, the city had been going through some um real challenges in citing a landfill site. And then when it sucked in that I'd been elected, I said, I'm going to be mayor when the Board of Health rejects the RM landfill site. And so that's what was going through my mind with that <laughs> bewildered look, uh, because uh, that was such a challenge, the whole thing about not having a landfill and, you know, images of garbage um, piling up on the streets and, you know, looking to engineers for solutions that they could never find. So it was all, um, you know, I think it really sunk in. Real opportunity, but at the same time, oh, boy, that's going to be a huge um tough issue to deal with. So Jan, thank you for sharing that and, and walking us through your journey, right? We're in 2021 right now. And when you first ran, it was 1989. So I kind of want to ask you to compare, do you think comparing back then 1989 to 2021, do you think there's a huge difference in running today compared to your experience when you were running in 1989? Can you walk us through what you think that would look like? Oh boy, that's a that's an interesting question. Just to, I mean, social media is so big right now. 
Um, and uh, certainly that wasn't part of it. I think back then, you know, you have kind of the same dynamics with open line shows and that kind of thing, but not to the extent that I think uh, people are having to capitalize and use that tool uh, to reach out and having COVID is certainly not going to be able to do, you know, certainly will put a, you know, uh, uh, crafting any kind of style of door knocking because people aren't going to want to answer, right? <laughs> uh, so um, I think the campaign looks really different. I think the moneyed interests are more. Uh, certainly we're a lot bigger as a city um, as well. Um, and while Edmonton's always been diverse, um, our diversity certainly has increased as well. Um, and making sure that you're reaching out to um you know, different communities in different ways, recognizing uh, what's been happening with COVID and, you know, the challenges around that uh, is a different uh, piece of it. Um, uh, but I think some of the issues are in, in some ways the same. And I think of the River Valley as an example of that. Like uh, the River Valley was, uh, and is really Edmonton's signature piece, our, our ribbon of green and the importance of protecting it. And, you know, even this council now, you know, stick in the uh, solar panels for APCOR. They don't really need to go there. Let's put a gondola right through the river valley. Like, really? So, like, there's this, I think there's, again, this need to really look at um, in much the same way, maybe back in 89, you know, that, uh, that need to really address environmental concerns to protect our river valley, uh, to really think about where we're going as a city, uh, because, uh, you know, we're really seeing, you know, again, I think uh, challenges with the provincial government that we had back then too. So some similarities on how you manage them, but maybe slightly different in scale and different ways of communicating uh, than we had back then. 1989 was an anomaly, wasn't it? Because not only did Edmonton elect its first female mayor, but there was gender parity on council. And that's not something that's been replicated ever since. Currently, right now, there's two female councillors. Last term, there was one female councillor. What was in the water in 1989? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to say. I think urge made a big difference, actually. I think that uh, when you look at it, uh, they, um, like, when I was first elected, uh, three out of the four urge aldermen were women. So this is like uh, a slate. They, this is like a slate system, isn't it, Jan? This is not something that happens well, now. Yeah, it's well. Let's see. It was a, a slate, maybe um, not in the traditional term as it was used back then. It was more. A, it was a an alignment of uh, progressive individuals that were very united around the preservation of the river valley, of the protection of older neighborhoods, um, and um, you know, really looking at the value of community and people pulling together to uh, address those issues and, and community working together to develop a platform without any kind of political party per se behind them. We, we, I think we had all political parties um, represented as part of Urge at one time. So I think it was a, it was a little bit of a different dynamic, but it per certainly was able to provide that support and have good policy analysis uh, to uh, support women running for council. And then that gave a platform. And once you start building a critical mass of women, you could get more. Uh, but we've lost that ability to have that critical mass, I think, in, in some ways over the, you know, the past years. Wow. 
Jan, okay, so you won. You're in office. Congrats. How does it feel? How did it feel? And what was the first thing you tackled? Oh, what was the first thing I tackled? <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, it was, um, we ha- it, at that time, Edmonton had a really high uh, crime rate. Um, and people were really worried about the safety in their neighborhoods. And a number of community um, members came together to say we needed to have a Safer Cities initiative. And we pulled that together. It was approved by council. And then I remember there was an editorial saying City Hall should do something. So even though they had all those reporters there at City Hall, they totally missed that story. Um, and uh, But I think that Safer Cities initiative really... Um, you know, looked at, you know, crime prevention through social development, it looked at domestic violence, it looked at how we use police resources. And I think that was really a push. And then, of course, there was the whole thing with the landfill, um, and trying to figure that out. Um, uh, And Orem was uh, rejected, I think that same, like not long after the election. Um, and then trying to figure out what to do with, um, you know, the city's waste and how to manage that. But it wasn't easy, was it, blazing this trail? You were treated differently than the other mayors were who were male, weren't you? Tell us a little bit about your experience and and what you think, how you think you were treated differently uh, because you were a woman. Oh, well, I think first, well, it was the first woman, so it was a bit of an oddity. So everybody wanted to come and, uh, you know, wanted you to come to their events. And so there were tons of event um, requests, I think, or, you know, the appointment secretary at the time said they never had any under previous mayors like that. Everybody wanted to come and see you. Um, so there was a lot of that. There was a lot of misogyny around, you know, thinking, uh, you know, women didn't know that or, you know, you're not from um the business community is an example. So what do you know? But we actually led the first economic development strategy uh, for the city of Edmonton and merged what had been some rather, um, uh, well, how would you put this politely? They they really weren't able to do what they were set out to accomplish uh, in terms of economic development, but they cost the taxpayer a lot of money. So we were able to merge them and get them together in a common purpose but there are those ideas about like women don't understand sports women don't understand business stick to the daycare and you know uh the social development issues maybe but not the others and it's not just true uh, for me uh at, at that time we did have a majority of women on council and i remember one of the reporters from the journal uh telling me uh, back then that they'd actually done a review of all of the coverage uh of city hall and found that even though there were more women on council, the men got quoted more frequently and there were more stories about them. Uh, So there is just kind of this, you know, the old boys network was alive and well in some ways too. Um, Northlands was a big challenge there. Um, and, um, and then there, I was honorary member of things. Those were kind, that was kind of funny too, because I was honorary member of clubs that wouldn't have me as a member because I was the mayor. The Edmonton Club was an example of that. Um, the Petroleum Club. And then they always would invite the mayor to the Robbie Birds night, but then they'd send me a letter saying, but you can't come because we only allow men. Like it was that kind of just that stuff 
you know, all, all the time. It's kind of funny in some ways, uh, but it, it, it's a symbol of you know what the, they thought about women in that office at the time. Yeah, looking back now, I'm sure it's funny, but in the moment, in the time you were in, I'm sure it wasn't as funny, <laughs> right? Like well, you had to keep your sense of humor. I remember I once had to produce my business card because some guy, I was on a plane once, and some guy says, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm the mayor of Edmonton. And he said, oh, yeah, and I'm Tom Cruise or something, you know? <laughs> and I, said, I had to show him my card, wow. right? He really didn't believe me. Um, so there, I had lots of things happen like that. He, he had a great comeback, though. He just said I was too young to be mayor. Oh, well, that's a compliment. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a compliment, Jan, like with all of that. And yeah, going right. <laughs> so, yeah, there were lots of those comments. So that's if that's what people say, you know, uh, you wonder what I'll say or actually say, right? Right. No kidding. And I was just going to say that being the first woman, I can imagine how unbelievable it was for, you know, that time, right? So for you then, Jan, where did you find your support? Because I'm sure, you know, as a woman myself, like I can just imagine how emotional I would be in that situation and in that time where I'm the only one and everyone's looking at me like, okay, you are an oddball here. You don't belong. Why are you here? Kind of thing, right? So in those moments when you're having your doubts and, and, and that kind of thing. Where did you get your support from? Well, I had great support. And, um, you know, you're interviewing too uh, a little later in this uh, segment, but uh, my family as well, um, really supportive. Um, and, uh, you know, at the, uh, and, uh, you know, I had a very good campaign committee and, you know, they, they came to support and then just the general public sometimes was just, you know, very supportive, um, all along. It wasn't, um, I mean, it, it's those backroom, uh, kind of stories that were more the challenge than the public facing moments, if you know what I mean. Like it's the, it, it was kind of the uh, old boy structures that were there um, and how they treated you, but it wasn't like that so overtly in public. It was more like how they treated you, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the interactions that you may have had on a business level. And they weren't very nice, were they? Uh, you know, we, we you had you had the controversy over the uh, sports teams, uh, possibly the Edmonton Oilers leaving, um, and then there was a group called the Stickmen who who put out ads against you. Um, you took a lot of heat, didn't you? And and you know, obviously, lots of politicians take heat, yeah. but do you think you took more heat because you were Jan Reimer, first female mayor of Edmonton, uh, as opposed to to somebody else who who um, you know was part of that well, old boys I, club. I, yeah, well, I think that would be part of it. And also, I was progressive. And this was a time during the Klein cuts um, and uh, more of a right wing focus um, as well. So between the politics and the gender and the cross between that, uh, you know, I think that I felt both of those things, actually. That's awesome. So like we're talking about the negative flack that you had to undergo and stuff like that. Was there at any point a time where you felt encouraged to go forward and to continue the good work that you started in a sense, mostly from the opposite sex? Was there a time where you felt, OK, um, I can see that they believe in me and you know what, I'm going to keep going? Well, you have to do that every day, right? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a big responsibility. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think uh, 
how would you put that? Like there was support from all sorts of different levels. And then you had your victories. Like we had a very ambitious agenda. Uh, we put lots forward and we got almost all of it through city council. Um, so I think that uh, in spite of some of the challenge, I think there were just like two really big setbacks. One was uh, the relocation of the water intake and the other um, would have been um, the district heating and uh, putting it, that would have really put Edmonton ahead in terms of our energy uh, conservation. But most of the items that, uh, you know, that I pushed for got through city council in spite of us having quite a fractious uh, council, uh, you know, particularly for one term. And of course, you are, you were the driving force of the blue bins that we had for so many years here in the city of Edmonton. Um, you were called the Queen of Green. But when we talked to you in our pre-interview, you said, oh, I don't think that was much of a compliment for the people who called you that. <laughs> yeah, I always took it as one. I thought it was a great thing. But I don't think it was offered in that it was that thought at all. Um, it was kind of like, this, here she is. I think what was another one? The, the cycling and recycling mayor, right? So, but they weren't meant as compliments, but I took them as such. <laughs> <laughs> so you had, you had, during your time at City Hall, you had two kids, right? You, you, mm -hmm. you gave birth to two beautiful children. Um, there was a story you also talked about Al Dewar, the former mayor of Calgary, and how he prioritized his kids and he was, um, well, let me, can you just tell that story? Yeah, well, yeah, it's interesting uh, at, from a lot of levels, because when you started doing your own research, I had a really good laugh over what you pulled from the city clerk's office, because what I'm being remembered for is having that record number of kids while on city council. <laughs> and I didn't know which, uh, if that was a municipal record, a provincial record, or maybe even Canada or global. So I always be interested <laughs> in knowing that. But it's interesting what they compile about you. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it was sort of like, uh, uh, there was always a different expectation. And uh, I remember talking to Al Dewar about it once. And he says, oh, well, all I do is I just, you know, I go to these banquets and I say, you know, I'd like to speak first and then leave because I want to be there to have dinner and read my kids a story. Good night. Mm. And everybody would say, oh, you know, why, of course. I tried that. It was just rolling of the eyes, you know. Mm -hmm. So there was a different attitude towards that. Like it's sort of like, oh, well, we know she couldn't do it. She can't manage it. And I think even at one time, uh, the paper did a story. Well, can she be a mayor and a mother? Right. When I was running for uh, mayor the first time. So just there is definitely a different expectation for women. And I think it's still there today, quite frankly. Um, there's different expectations of uh, women and how they, and their children. And we've certainly heard it from women who've run about like, well, what about your kids? Um, so um, it definitely is a, still an issue after all these years. Yeah, for sure. It, it definitely is. And the barriers won't 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 stop. Right. Especially now. So that's why we're doing this podcast. Right. To in, in educate and inspire. So um, with that being said, you know, being the trailblazer you were and are, you know, what other first accomplishments did you achieve while in office? Well, what did we do? So the, the, the protection of the River Valley and getting the River Valley redevelopment plan, protection of some of the older neighborhoods. Um, we uh, 
finally actually did happen while I was in office, but it was the the last thing, I guess, the last piece of unfinished business that passed as a plebiscite during the election, and that was the closure of Keeler Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was a very hotly contested um, issue at the time, and pe- it, course now you go there and you can see how Keeler Road actually fell into the river valley uh, but back but then it was seen as a major it was a must-have road to get people from South Edmonton to um, wait to get into the downtown uh, the airport issue was a huge one and I think we've really stood the benefit uh, of that over time uh, the sports teams and keeping them here in Edmonton that was another hotly contested issue that we we had to deal with our waste management plan, another. So I guess those would be some of the ones that just come to mind. All right, let's talk about the last campaign, the campaign you lost to Mayor Bill Smith. Um, It was a pretty nasty one, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And at some points you needed protection, right? You had security or you had police protecting you. That's what I've heard, yes. <laughs> and and there's a story about one rally that uh, that was particularly ugly, but there was a moment, and, and you kept your composure and you kept your strength, but there was a moment, and it wasn't a negative one, but it was a positive one that actually drew you to tears. Would you mind telling that story? Because I just think it's just a, it's just a, a lovely story, and, and it really symbolizes what politicians face all the time that people don't know they face. Well, I think it uh, that was a particularly awful campaign. Uh, you know, I had been stalked uh, uh, during that campaign, and there was one individual in particular who would always come and sit in the front row and make nasty uh, gestures at me while I was speaking um, and, you know, just try to disrupt your train of thought uh, during, um, you know, during the, the debates. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, it was quite a raucous group too. I think that last, uh, uh, public debate that we had. And so you have to steal yourself to that, right? Cause you've got to be prepared to take all those uh, slings and arrows that are thrown your way and stand up for what you believe in. And at the end of it, um, you know, as I was leaving, uh, this, uh, gentleman came up to me with his daughter and, uh, he just thanked me and thanked me for being a role model for his daughter and uh, actually and, and said how much he and his daughter appreciated that. And that's what moved me to tears because <laughs> uh, I wasn't expecting that. You'd gone through all this, uh, you know, the, the verbal insults that go with the campaign and it was a nasty one and it was just such a beautiful thing. And to have, be seen as a role model for his daughter was actually a very special gift. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that's such a beautiful story to understand that, you know, how much you have to go through and how thick you have to make your skin in order to like, you know, like go go all the way with this. Right. So that's awesome to hear, um, you know, for you, Jan, and trying to develop a, a, a community to rally around you and everything that you kind of want to push forward. Like what kind of strategy did you did you use to basically gain that trust within your community? Like you have the different, you know, you have business and then the sports and then all the other ones. Like what was it for you that made you want to go out and, and, and build those connections? Well, I, I think it's uh I always cared very deeply about the city and the people. And, um, you know, I think the wonderful thing about municipal government is the ability to to make change at that local level and to actually be able to see that change. 
Um, and, you know, that's really, you know, an amazing thing to, to be a part of it. Um, so I think that's, that's the special part of it. Um, you know, you do have, you say that, uh, you know, you have to really toughen yourself up in some ways, but I guess it's always to remind yourself too, that uh, it's like a callus. You have to, you know, you need to have that hardened skin, but you're soft underneath and you have to remember that softness is there. And uh, there's also a lot of pressures uh, to make you into what you are not um, every day, especially in the mayor's office. People wanting you to dress differently, be differently, take a stand on something you don't believe in. Those pressures are always there and you've always got to be true to yourself and true to your values, uh, true to looking at what is best for the community. Um, and you have to be able to withstand those pressures. So, uh, you know, for anyone's entering politics, it's, you know, stay, you know, follow your moral compass and stay true to what you believe in. You need to look at yourself in the mirror every morning and, you know, uh, and you need to, Think about your family and the community and how you're going to make it into a better place. Thank you for that. Wise words. I, I hope yes. every politician out there and people who want to be politicians <laughs> listen to that last statement. Um, Jan, you are the only female mayor of Edmonton so far. Kim Campbell, the only female prime minister of Canada. And I know you guys share a, a bit of a special relationship, but are you... I, I, are you willing to give up that title anytime now? Are you, are you sick of it? <laughs> anytime, please. <laughs> it's it, you know it's so overdue. We need more women in politics at every level, you know. And um, and, and yeah, it's just you get tired of saying yeah, the only woman mayor, right? So I don't want to be that kind of an oddity. I want to be uh, one of a group of very many. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Kim Campbell? Yeah, well, she was, um, uh, I got to know her through big city mayors, actually. Um, and uh, with the start of the gun control legislation, because she was the uh, minister at the time that was really pushing uh, gun control and was looking for support from uh, the mayors. Um you know, the big city mayors at the time uh, to have that support for gun control. And, you know, she brought it in. Uh, it wasn't an easy thing. Um, and I think there are all sorts of politics that came after and still to this day have come after that. But I mean, she made, you know, I mean, she maintained her direction on that and, and kept moving forward with that. Um, and it's, you know, and we lost around the same time too. And I remember I met her once, uh, uh, we were both, she was leaving an interview and I was coming in and she said something like, you know, once you're in a position like that, it's like you've got gum on your shoe. It's always tripping you up. You never could quite get rid of it. And there's a real truth to that, right? That uh, <laughs> once you're that only female, there's always that gum on your shoe that, you know, can trip you up a little bit when you're trying to move forward. <laughs> gum on our shoe. <laughs> That is awesome. Jan, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experiences and your journey and stuff like that. Um, it's been phenomenal. Thank you, Jan. The first and only female mayor Edmonton has yet to have. Yeah, coming up, we actually speak to two people who were in her office at the time. The first female chief of staff and the only man in her office. We talked to them about how Jan Reimer was treated. And there's this really explosive Peter Pocklington story you gotta <laughs> stick around for. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Searching for Izena. This podcast was made possible thanks to the generous financial support of the Edmonton Community Foundation. We also want to thank the Edmonton Public Library, the City of Edmonton Archives, the Adams Agency, and Ryan Jesperson for the generous use of his Real Talk recording studio. Check out searchingforizena.com for a full list of this project sponsors, partners, and committee members. Searching for Izena has been largely powered by volunteers from across the capital region. From research to social media to marketing, volunteers of all ages, backgrounds, and political leanings are helping bring Searching for Izena to life during a pandemic and countless Zoom calls. Thanks to the former and current Edmonton City Councillors who have helped us tell their important stories. Now, back to searching for Izena. Now we have two people who are along for Jan's journey. We have Kathy Vandergrift. She was the first female chief of staff at City Hall here in Edmonton. And John Brennan, former executive assistant and the only male staffer in the office. All right, let's start with you, Kathy. How did you come to work for Jan? Well, I was part of the group that uh, pleaded with Jan to run for mayor. At the time, I was an assistant to Betty Hughes. And um, we certainly knew it was a good time to to have a more progressive mayor. And we thought Jan was well suited. So I was part of the group that um, made the pitch for her to run. And uh, I recall the lunch. And at the end of the lunch, she said, if I win, you're coming. And we sort of, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then we all worked really hard on the campaign. It was a really energized campaign. And then the morning after she won, the telephone rang. And I thought, oh, no. (laughs) So (laughs) that's how. But I had worked with her on the first campaign um, as counselor and saw her work during the years at city council. We worked together with the urge counselors. And so it was a privilege to work for that's awesome. And same for you, John. How about you? How did you come to work for Jan? I first met Jan in 1989. Um, I was always politically active in the 1980s, primarily with the provincial NDP back in those days. And I met Jan at a, at a political event in 1989, and I was really impressed. And I said to her that night, if you ever run for mayor, let me know. I'd be happy to work on your campaign. I remember handing her my business card. And then about three or four months later, I got a call asking me to be part of a meeting um, for a group that was going to be organizing um, Jan's campaign. What I do remember about the 1989 campaign, it was very decentralized. There was a main office um, that I think we also used in 1992 on 105th Street and 100th Avenue. But the campaigns and the wards were very decentralized. And I was the co-chair of Ward 4 with my friend, Michael Fair. And I remember our meetings for what we were doing in Ward 4, organizing volunteers, raising money, distributing pamphlets, putting up signs, all those kind of things. Those meetings were all held at Michael Fair's house, uh, where he still lives to this day. Um, And so that was my introduction to Jan in 1989. And I'd say about six, eight months after the election, um, I was contacted to see if I'd meet with Jen about uh, coming to work for her. And I did, I had lunch with her 
and she asked me to come and work for her. And I thought about it for a bit and I thought, well, that'd be an interesting challenge. And I did. And I'm glad I did. It was a great five years after that. But it was quite a kerfuffle when you were hired, right? Because Jan's office was, it, it was an all-female staff. And then John Brennan gets hired. It made the news when they hired you. <laughs> it did. I remember there was quite a kerfuffle and I was quite amused by it at, at the time. What I remember is that one of the aldermen at the time, Alderman Bruce Campbell, was making it an issue that he thought there should be a man in um, Jan's office. And, you know, Bruce was a very gentlemanly guy, but, you know, he was very old school when it came to things like gender relations. And um, so it was a bit of a kerfuffle, but, you know, the interesting thing is, um, I know Jan and Kathy know my background, but not everybody does, is I was raised by my mother and five older sisters. My brother and I are, uh, our father passed away when we were very young. So I grew up in a family of strong women. And so working in an office with a bunch of very intelligent, strong women was nothing new to me. It was really all I'd ever known. So I think I adopted very well to working there. And, you know, and I can look back on it now and working with Jan and Kathy and Lily and Jeanette and Lorraine and Jill Wright, you know, it was a terrific group of people, all very intelligent, strong women, and I enjoyed every minute working with them. That's awesome. So, John, I know back then, what did they say? That John Jan got her man? Is that what it was? <laughs> that was the headline of one of the stories, Jan gets her man. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, John, for you, I know, you know, in this and being in the office with just, just women, a lot of people, like you said, don't know, you know, your upbringing and your background, right? So what kind of feedback were you getting from um, mostly probably example male from the male? What were, what, what was the comments you were getting, you know, being the only man in just an office filled with women? Well, I know my family was very happy. They were very impressed because they thought very highly of Jan. Everybody in my family voted for Jan. So they all thought it was great. Um, my friends all thought it was interesting. Um, I know that over time, I won over some skeptics, especially some of the male aldermen on council. And I actually, you know, ended up having very friendly relations with almost all of them. Um, but, you know, I didn't really face any, any negativity um, at all. And, you know, and I was very young at the time, I was 33 years old. And I looked at it as being a real adventure. And it was, it was, it was incredibly exciting working for the mayor, working at City Hall. And I look back at all the things we did. And I know one of the things that Jen wanted me to do off the hop was work with her on the economic development strategy. And that was, that was really interesting. And it was one of our signature achievements of the first term. Kathy, do you think John needed to be in Jan's office? It sounded like a lot of the business community, they didn't know what was going on. Maybe maybe they, they didn't feel like um, they, they had a conduit into the mayor's office because, you know, they want to be able to, to have those, those private phone calls, those private dinners. Uh, do you think that they found John was sort of a, a friendly face, a, a, something that they knew, a status quo that they felt comfortable with? 
I think so. And I, I think we did know we needed to balance out on the economic development side. You know, Sue Arison was really, really strong on all the community relations. And this, Jan was the first mayor, I think, that was really open to the community. And so um, that was really strong, but it took a lot of time and a lot of um, attention as well. And so we, we also did need to strengthen you know, our, our policy side on the economic development. So it was a good fit. But was it just because um, he was a man, though, that 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 they felt comfortable? I, I don't... Um, oh, certainly that played into it because he was a, a man. But we also were looking for, you know, skills in those areas and skills in media relations. And so he had some of those skills. And so that it was a good fit. And we, we did need to change that. We came in and we didn't... Um, we knew why Jan should be mayor, for sure. And we knew we had a big, big agenda to do. But we sure didn't know how we were going to get it done. And so I think in those first few months, it, it took some patching. And, and then we fell into a rhythm. And, you know, our offices were next door to each other. And I think we each worked on parallel paths and, and made it work quite well through the rest of that term. So, Oh, cool. That's awesome. So, Kathy, kind of walk us through a day, a day in your life when you were in the office, walk us through what that would look like. Well, it would start on the way in, certainly, or early, very early <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> there was very little uh, sleep time during those years um, because, you know, I needed to make sure all the speeches were ready for that day, all the, all the was done. And so you came in and turned all that work over um, and you were taking the calls on the way in. Uh, I won't forget when the Oilers was the big issue, taking angry mail calls in the morning uh, to start off. So that would set your day off really well. But, um, and then there were, you know, if it was a day of official meetings, we needed to be very ready for those. And I guess what I would say is Jan earned a lot of respect by paying attention to detail and always being very prepared, always being very prepared. So she could ask really good questions. Um, willing to look at different options. And so, you know, we had to be well prepared as staff, right, as well to to back her up for that. So, um, so you would go through your official meetings, then there would be some social events at, at the noon hour, make sure everything was ready for that. And in the evening and um, late at night, you'd go home and think about the things you didn't get done that you should have gotten done during the day. <laughs> like every other day. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, John, for you then, what was it like for you? Walk us through your day. It was it was super exciting. Like, I look back on those five years as being just a terrific time in my life. Um, the other thing I didn't mention earlier is besides working on the economic development strategy, one of the reasons Jan hired me was to be your press secretary to take over media relations for the office. So I spent a lot of time on that. I would say at least half of my day was working um, talking to the members of the press gallery. And as Jan referenced in her interview, in those days, there was a lot of reporters covering City Hall. There was radio reporters from private sector radio stations from the CBC. All, of, all three TV stations had reporters and the Journal and the Sun both had reporters and columnists. So it was a flock of reporters that covered City Hall in those days. And I can remember, especially the first couple of years, spending a lot of time schmoozing with, and um, you would refer to it, uh, Stacy, as spinning the media, you know, having having coffee with them in the Java Jive downstairs, um, 
columnists like John Geiger and Neil Waugh and the reporters, Scott McKean and Mike Sadova. Um, you know, it's just spending a lot of time talking to them about what the mayor was working on, what she was trying to achieve for this particular initiative that was either going to a council committee or to council. And, you know, trying to get them to look at what Jen was doing favorably. So I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, but other times, of course, accompanying uh, the mayor either to events or um, being, you know, Kathy and I would take turns um, staffing Jen at various either events or meetings. So, you know, during each day, each day we would get a copy of Jen's schedule from Lily the night before. So we would know what events or what meetings we were scheduled to do. Um, but I, I just look back on the whole time, you know, from 1990 to 1995, it's been a very exciting time. We did a lot of interesting things. I think the first term was easier, certainly than the second term. I remember the second term being very stressful. Um, the whole Oilers issue, which dominated 1993 and 1994, was a really stressful issue. And then we had all these other big issues come at us. These aren't things that Jan necessarily ran on in 1992, but we had to deal with um, the sale of Edtel, um, consolidating air service um, at the International Airport, which was a huge issue in 94 and 95. And as Jan mentioned in her interview, the closure of Kila Road. So we had all of these huge issues um, in the second term. John referred to this, uh, and Kathy, so did you, when you were talking about angry phone calls. What did Jan face on a daily basis, especially in, in the second term? It sounds like that was the one where um, things sort of turned a little bit nasty. There were some in the first term as well, but there were probably around the Oilers. Uh, you know, I think um, it was used and there was a lot of hype around it. And uh, yeah, you just would get these, these you know, angry phone calls. Jan had a very principled position. Uh, we could explain that position, but, you know, there's a lot of emotion around that, right? And so um, people would call the mayor's office and vent about it. And you just needed to state what was the reason why we were taking the position we were taking and just stay calm about it. So... Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't want to, you know, overemphasize that. Uh, John said, you know, the big issues in the second term. But boy, I do remember that waste management one in the first term. That was no game. I had no idea I would learn so much about waste management when I took that job. <laughs> and in the in the first term, then it was, you know, people came with big sales ideas, right? They were going to convince the mayor to invest in all these high tech solutions. And so you're dealing with snake oil salesmen and you're trying to find a real solution at the same time time and of course we wanted to turn it into something positive and so Edmonton still re reduces its waste more than most cities and it started at that time I mean we had to change the whole culture around thinking about waste as a resource that could be used so it was really you know changing the whole paradigm um, so you know you, you, you deal with opposition of a different kind there, but uh, really working, working through that and just being persistent, I guess, is the way you make change in the long term. Kathy, um, you guys keep talking about the Oilers situation. Now, for those who are listening and not really sure of what you guys are making reference to, can you just give us a little bit of backstory and background as to what was happening with the Oilers around this time? 
Well, John might be, uh, he, since he stayed in Edmonton and I left, but the, <laughs> the issue was around the arena and wanting taxpayer money to go into an arena, to build an arena. And Jan felt very strongly that that was not a, an appropriate use of taxpayer funds. And I recall reading after I left Edmonton articles saying Jan made the right decision at the time. But that was, you know, of course, they always wanted a bailout. They wanted, you know, the taxpayers to pay for the arena. And, and but Jan had a very principled position. And we, we just, we, we worked very hard to keep the Oilers in Edmonton. There was nothing, um, Anim animos you know, there was no animosity, there was no um, desire, but is that an appropriate use of taxpayer funds? And, and she had a principled position about that, and we stuck to it. And last time I checked, I think they're still called the Edmonton Oilers. So they obviously did stick around. And of course, that debate repeated itself uh, just a couple of years ago. Um, Kathy, we're talking sports. We're talking Oilers. There is a story about Peter Pocklington, the former owner of the Edmonton Oilers, that you have to tell us about. Please. Well, I mean, he 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 chose to during this time, and and there was sort of an alliance between he and some of the Klein forces who were upset about the way Jan didn't manage the budget the way they wanted her to. So we were facing some serious, um, yeah, they were attacking, and he publicly badmouthed her about not being willing to meet with him in private. But um, she was con rightly concerned that he wouldn't tell the truth about what was said in private. And so we had to come up with a solution. And the solution was to host him in grand style in the mayor's office so that he couldn't have any criticism about the way he was treated. But I had to hide in the corner and take notes so that, and that he knew I was taking notes so that he couldn't say something she didn't say because... For her, she was sticking to a, a principled position. And of course, if he could undermine that, that would really undermine the whole strategy. So um, the lunch went along very well. Um, they exchanged views and had a good lunch. And, uh, and so, okay, we were wondering how this was all going to play out. At least, you know, he had his private audience with the mayor that he thought he should have. And then... Um, after we had used very good china, all the best dishes, very good lunch, everything. So there could be no criticism on that front at all. Um, wanted to make sure about that. And then after he left, there was a spoon missing. So we don't know what happened to that spoon. But ever after that, when we would have bad days, we would just say, remember the missing spoon? And we'd have a joke about it. So just had to find ways to you know, see the lighter side on some of these things as well. I find it so interesting. I don't that know if she changed his mind during that dinner. Or he changed his position, but at least he had his dinner with the mayor. And the spoon has never been found. <laughs> to this day. The spoon is still missing. <laughs> it, was, it was actually a gift to the mayor. So we might be on debit when they, you know, catalog gifts as they do these days. <laughs> I find it so interesting that as women, sometimes we have to kind of go that extra mile to show up and represent, right? Whereas the men, they can just have a cigarette, sit down, chit chat and, you know, call it a day. But we have to be so diligent and purposeful in what we do this day and age, right? So um, that's really interesting to hear that it's the same even from uh, what, 1919, what, 92 it was, um, around about that time. So I wanted well, to... We didn't 
Yeah, we didn't want them to have any, you know, any reason other than focusing on the issue, because I think we were in a good position on the issue. But, you know, he would use anything. And mm-hmm. if he could have badmouthed her over the dinner, that would have been what the story would have been and, and discredited her positions. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think we, we did through the years, you know, have to think about that. Also, I recall general managers and so on. But again, Jan knew her material so well that they gained a respect for her over time. And so we had to do less of that kind of um, extra special attention to make sure they would (laughs) go along. Like a true leader, like a true leader. So for, um, you know, we're talking about challenges and opposition and all that kind of stuff, but we kind of want to kind of shift gears a little bit now and talk about some of your favorite moments while in office as staffs. Like, um, let's start with you, John. Kind of what was your, your, the biggest highlight for you? What was the biggest accomplishment and your favorite moment while you were working with Jan? Well, I can think of a few, um, both political and policy related. Um, I can remember after, gosh, it was probably about a year's work working on the economic development strategy, all the meetings. And I can remember going with Jan to meet with the boards of all the various authorities. Jan essentially telling you, when, when, telling them, when we pass this, we're winding you guys up and we're consolidating you all into one organization that didn't necessarily go over well with all of them. But I can remember when we finally got the economic development strategy to city council, and I can remember Bob Snyder being there presenting it along with Chris Heffering, who I remember working with um, from the city manager's office. And it got approved, it was approved unanimously by council. I, I felt really proud about that because it was a, a signature achievement of Jan's. It was something that she campaigned on and, and we got it done before the 92 election. I can remember we got the Oilers deal finally done and approved by council. Um, you know, that was an 18 month grind. I remember that started in the summer of 93 and it went right through 94. And when the final deal was approved, that was, that was huge. Um, something, something that I also recall that I don't think Jan looks back on as fondly as I do. And that's the sale of Intel. I, that's another issue that was brought to council. It wasn't something Jan campaigned on. It was brought to council by the board of Edtel and by the board of TELUS. And what ended up happening, uh, this all played out in 1994 and the sale went through in 95. And it was very contentious because the most, the more left-wing members of city council like Brian Mason and Tucker Gomberg didn't support it, nor did the city unions. And Jan wasn't keen on the idea at first, but she sort of came around to the idea because part of the problem with Edtel was it was gonna need a massive infusion of capital to, in order to remain an economically viable business. And you know, the city was had scarce resources at the time. And also the whole regulation of the telecommunications industry was changing. And so at the end of the day, after a lot of public debate, a lot of city council meetings, um, the decision was made to sell at tell to tell us and a lot of Edmontonians might not know this but you know the sale went through in 1995 and based on the advice from our general manager of finance Bob Ardeal and his financial advisors um, council set up an Edtel endowment fund with that 470 million and to this day 25 years later the Edtel endowment fund provides dividends to the city of Edmonton on an annual basis they range from about $30 million a year to $49 million a year. And those dividends have been paid out over the last 25 years. And in fact, I, I wrote down the figures the other day so I would have them rate. 
In the last 25 years, the Atel Endowment Fund has paid out $785 million to the city. And this, this money is used um, for the operating expenses for the city, the city's operating budget. And the principal in the fund has now grown from $470 million to $863 million. So you think of a legacy of Mayor Reimer in the 92-95 Council setting up that Edtel Endowment Fund. It provides a dividend to the city of Edmonton every year. The principal of the fund has grown. Um, and I don't think there's another city in North America that has what would be the equivalent of the Alberta Heritage Trust Fund that the city has with the Edtel Endowment Fund. So I think the whole management of the sale, the setting up of the Edtel Endowment Fund, and the advice we got from Bob Ardeal and the financial advisors that he hired from Toronto was all good. And I think the decisions made by council at that time were in the best interest of the city and has turned out to be one of Jan's great legacies. I think politically, I remember a couple of things. I remember the 1989 election night um, at the Chateau Lacombe, how exciting it was and how everybody who was there, we were in the ballroom of the Chateau Lacombe, the place was packed and it was so exciting. And then I can remember too, in 1992, sort of a replay. And that's when Jan won a crushing victory over Bill Smith when she, when she was reelected, winning 113,000 votes, 23,000 votes more than uh, Smith and also 40,000 more votes than she had gotten in 1989. And again, the electricity in the air, how excited everybody was, with green balloons, you know, everywhere coming down from the ceiling and bands playing and uh, just the excitement in the air and all these friends and family members who you knew who'd worked on the campaign who were all there and all excited. So the, the victory night of the 1989 campaign and the victory night of the 1992 campaign were two of the best nights of my life. I mean, just remember how excited I was and how <laughs> fun those nights were. And Kathy, let's give you the last word. What was the proudest moment you had working for Jan Reimer as the first female chief of staff at City Hall for the first Edmonton mayor who was a woman? Well, I'll, I'll, name, I'll name two. One, Jan came to try and change the way politics worked at City Hall as well as, you know, the substantive agenda. And maybe a good example of that was um, the day we could go to City Council with the general manager of transportation, John Snobleger, and the community um, standing together behind a best proposal how we could get people through some of the um, inner city neighborhoods. It had been a long struggle. Um, the general manager of transportation wanted to drive the freeway through and people didn't weren't so keen about that. And so we had a lot of meetings, but in the end, they could stand together and find a solution. And I think it typified the way she did work, which was looking at all the options, looking at the issues very carefully and finding a, a good solution. And in the meantime, as I said, there were a lot of communities who saw her as their mayor, didn't normally think they um, could have the attention of City Hall. And, and maybe one to mention there is, is building the statue for the Inuit boy, uh, an Inuit boy who gave his life to save pilot um, Martin Hartwell. I don't know if you remember that story. Um, and, you know, the Inui boy was forgotten, Martin Hartwell, we heard a lot about the pilot. Um, and somewhere along the line, his family and the Inui community in Edmonton 
came and said, you know, nothing was ever done to recognize that boy. And so we put our minds to working through that and, and we had an Anukshuk built with guidance from the family. I would say this is a reconciliation moment well ahead of the, the later reconciliation movement. And that was a very moving day. Um, the family came from the north um, and uh, yeah, we were just recognizing someone who had not been recognized and certainly, you know, it, it, it highlighted paying attention to those um, people who otherwise were not acknowledged. And I think that's an important role of a mayor as well. Thanks, Kathy and John. And just to fill in the gaps of, of Kathy's story there, um, there's an Anukshuk outside of the conference centre downtown on Jasper Avenue, and I've walked past it, probably you have too, Kim. Yes. Um, so many times, not mm -hmm. knowing what it actually represented. Well, Martin Hartwell was a bush pilot in the Canadian Arctic. He was flying a medical evacuation uh, on November 8th, 1972, and the plane crashed. And so uh, a number of passengers died, but the, 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 the pilot, Martin Hartwell, he survived along with a 14-year-old boy, David Kuktuk. They both survived the crash. Eventually, unfortunately, young David passed away, but he kept Martin alive until he was rescued because he knew the ways uh, mm -hmm. of, of surviving up north. So that is what that Anukshuk is there for on Jasper Represent. Avenue to honor mm -hmm. this 14-year-old boy. Wow. People know Hartwell's name, but may not know David Kuktuk's name. Wow. Wow. Join us next time for part four of Searching for Izena. We'll be investigating why our city has never elected a woman of color or an indigenous woman to serve at Edmonton City Hall. It's crazy to think that this has never been done. Our volunteers have spent months researching this particular topic, and in total, about 20 racialized and indigenous women have run for council in Edmonton over the years. On this episode, you'll hear about the challenges and the thoughts that they've had around how we can finally break through this barrier. You will also hear directly from the first woman of color to ever run in our city. And that was back in 1974. <laughs> Her name is Sidia Hamid. At the time when she was running, she was working at the U of A. She was only 27 years old and a new mother. Sidia now lives in India, where we'll be joining her for this episode, where she is currently working as a woman's rights activist. So you can imagine it's going to be a very powerful episode. So you have to join us. But until then, keep searching for Izena. You've been listening to Searching for Izena, brought to you by YWCA Edmonton, Parody Yeg, and several past and present Edmonton City Councillors. New episodes from our nine-part podcast are released the third Tuesday of every month until October. Please check our show notes, social media, and searchingforizena.com for more information about this project and how you can get involved. Share this with your friends and family and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Keep searching for Azina.